Hello and welcome to Cavalcade of America from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. The DuPont Company of Wilmington, Delaware, makers of better things for better living through chemistry, presents the Cavalcade of America. On this most important day in our nation's history, Inauguration Day, Cavalcade of America presents a special broadcast entitled, Bless This House. Our star, McDonald Gary. Commissioners, 
But from that stubborn herd of mules called Congress, I can have nothing. Nothing. I've been blocked at every turn. John. Yes, Abby. We have one fire at least. Now stop pacing up and down and sit quietly here where we can be warm. At least on one side. All right, all right. There. Now listen to me. Do you remember when we were living in Brattle Street in Boston? When we were young, before the war? I do indeed. But do you remember one special night when your friend Samuel Sewell came to call? Hmm. He came in Tory power and glory to offer you a bribe. To win you over to the side of the King's Party against your patriot friends. And I refused. Not before you talked with me. We sat late at night at our bedroom window, and we heard the watchman's call in the street below. Yes, I can almost hear it now. I listened, and I said, all is not well. A storm is brewing in Boston Town. A blow to put the stars out. The storm will try your strength, John, I said. But it will clear the air. After the storm, there'll be brighter stars ahead. I was right, John, then. And now that storm of revolution has tossed us up here at last to this strange, cold house. And there are new storms ahead. There are always storms. Always? But they pass. They do pass. Look, John. Hmm? Look through the window. What do you see? I see the night. Look again, John. It's a clear night. A clear night of stars. After the New England Adamses, Mr. Jefferson, a widower, came to the house from Monticello, where he would have preferred to stay. His hostess, when he needed one, which was seldom with this Spartan Democrat, was Dolly Madison, wife of his closest friend. State occasions were few, but when they did occur, we are told the wines were magnificent. And on one notable occasion, the ingenious Mr. Jefferson outdid himself by inventing something very like baked Alaska. James Madison followed Thomas Jefferson into the house, Jefferson's friend, almost a son or a brother. And the glamorous Dolly came into her own. You should spell her name, by the way, as she did. D-O-L-L-E-Y. But with Jimmy and his lovely bride, there came to the house in June of 1812... The British troopers and marines came under Cockburn and Ross up from the river closer and closer to the house and to the president's wife. I am Dolly Madison. And I want to say that it isn't true that I tucked the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution into my bodice and ran from the burning house. And it is not true that I hacked the Stuart portrait of George Washington from its frame and carried it off with the British at my heels. 
But most of all, it is not true that Jenny, my husband, was a coward and left me alone when the British came. He was with the troops at Bladensburg where he should have been. I went to him when I could. And on the way, I looked back at Washington through the smoke and the lightning of the storm. And I saw the house. Our house. Our lovely house. And so the house, quite young as houses go, was burned. The interior, still unfinished, was a smoke-blackened ruin, completely a ruin. But the freestone walls were left, and the house was rebuilt. Oh, yes, it was rebuilt. So the Virginian dynasty resumed, with James Monroe and Virginia Cortwright Monroe, who brought to the house their beautiful French furniture. Then... John Quincy Adams, the learned Yankee who treated White House guests to dispositions on poetry, music, painting, sculpture, all the old books say, of rare excellence and untiring interest. But a new storm was brewing. A storm of votes this time. Votes and voters out of the West, newly conscious of political power. Under Andrew Jackson, the old house would dance to a brand new tune. After his inauguration, Old Hickory rode from the Capitol to the White House on horseback. And he was followed by a mob of his supporters, rough and ready men and women from beyond the mountains. At the doors of the house, guards and ushers were overwhelmed. And into the stately East Room, the mob pushed its way to the long tables where cakes and ice cream and punch were laid out. Disgusting. Reminds one of the days of the French Revolution. Look at that Look at that woman. That the huge woman. Why, she's actually wiping her hands on the window drape. <laughs> A chair, I can't see. Oh, the chairs are much too small for these bears to sit on. <laughs> Good heavens, they've broken that beautiful French sofa. Well, that's quieted things down a bit. I my, this sort of thing would never do in Boston. Never do at all. I don't suppose it would, gentlemen. But I find it a rather pleasing spectacle. Oh, really? And who might you be, may I ask? My name is Andrew Jackson. To visiting. Yes, I'm the one the fuss is for. But this is the people's house. Let them enjoy it. <laughs> Broadcast starring McDonald Carey as our narrator. <laughs>
was the smooth, clever Martin Van Buren of New York, who bought a gold dinner service for the White House and lived to regret it, for he lost re-election because he was said to savor French sauces on golden spoons. There was much gaiety, much laughter down the years. And usually, there were children. Here in this house, young Tad and Willie Lincoln played with the two task boys from Cincinnati. And one day in 62, the four of them made a soldier doll out of rags and old clothes, and they called it Jack. Then they sentenced Jack, the soldier doll, to be shot at sunrise for sleeping on sentry duty. A gardener brought the news to the president's study. And back to the four very small boys came a message. The doll Jack is pardoned by order of the president, A. Lincoln. Old Abe Lincoln came out of the wilderness, out of the wilderness, out of the wilderness. Eleanor Roosevelt has said that if the White House is haunted, it is haunted by the shade of Abraham Lincoln. But many lonely men have walked these halls, up and down, up and down trying to make the right decision. Very soon after the incident of the doll, young Willie Lincoln, he was 11, went riding on his pony in a chilly rain and in a matter of hours fell sick of a fever. There was a ball planned for the White House and Mrs. Lincoln couldn't bring herself to call it off. All night... While the Marine Corps band blared its music in the East Room, the parents took turns going up to see Willie. The boy lay ill for a few days, and the footsteps echoed outside his bedroom door. Thanks. 
at your kind suggestion, I think I will visit you tomorrow. Hey, Lincoln. Mr. President, 
Are you fit to conduct a war? I... I don't know. Of course you don't. You're too refined, too civilized, too intellectual not to see the utter absurdity of force. To conduct a brutal, vigorous, successful war, it needs a man of course of type. I know, I know. Yet men of thought must be prepared to become men of action. My friend, let me read to you a part of the message I shall deliver to Congress tomorrow. This is what I have written. It is a fearful thing to lead this great, peaceful people into war. But the right is more precious than peace. And we shall fight for the things we have always carried nearest our hearts. To such a task we can dedicate our lives and our fortunes. Everything that we are and everything that we have the pride of those who know that the day has come when America is privileged to spend her blood and her might for the principles that gave her birth and happiness and the peace which she has treasured. God helping her, she can do no other. as they were by countless experiments and improvements. 
finally, just yesterday, under Harry Truman, the house was built anew. With everything of grace and charm preserved and kept, but with a new foundation of proud stability registered in steel. And today, under the eyes of all the world, the 34th chief executive has come to take his place in the home of president. In a time when the storm clouds gather again, and with a warning more grim than the past has ever known, Dwight D. Eisenhower, survivor of many storms, victor in the crusade for Europe, takes up his enormous burden under a roof that has sheltered much greatness, much sorrow, much joy. All America wishes him well. This genial man with the habit of victory, for him we re-echo the prayer of John Adams, the prayer carved over the fireplace in the state dining room of the White House. I pray, heaven, to bestow the best of blessings on this house and on all that shall hereafter inhabit it. May none but honest and wise men ever rule under this roof. Thanks to McDonald, Terry, and the Cavalcade players for tonight's story. 